We hope today's message will encourage you and strengthen you with God's Word. We are certainly living in a world that is constantly changing, but God's Word will always be true. The Bible tells us that God is unchanging and will always be all-knowing, all-powerful, the Creator and Sustainer of life. God's Word is truth and life, and we are thankful for the opportunity to share His Word with you each week. This sermon was recorded at Rolling Fork Baptist Church in Nelson County. You can find out more information by visiting rollingforkbc.com or find us on Facebook, listed as Rolling Fork Baptist Church of Boston, Kentucky. And now, let's listen in to this week's message. Again, thank you all for coming today, and uh, again, thank you, Jennifer, for coming and singing. I remember the first time that I heard Jennifer singing, I was totally shocked how much voice came out of that little girl. I was like, are you serious? I was like, okay, is she lip syncing, or what's the deal here? You know, is this, is this real, or is this Memorex? I'd like you to join me this morning in Luke chapter 9. Looking at a couple of verses today, and the question is, what is true Christianity? As you're opening your Bible to Luke chapter 9, I want to remind you of one of the statements that was made last week. We talked about the fact that when we are praying to become a healthy church, that one of the things that we're looking at is that the testimony of our church would be distinctively pure and attractive to unbelievers. And the idea of being attractive to unbelievers is, is not taking the gospel and changing it to fit our community, but to live in such a way that they see Christ in us. And if they see Christ in us, then they will be influenced to desire Christ. We need to make sure that our obedience to God is what they see. We need to display everything that Christianity is all about. And if there is true Christianity, then obviously there is a false sense of Christianity. A Christianity that will promise that you'll be happy and have less stress if you are a Christian. And we know that's not right. In fact, the more that you desire to be more like Christ, the more the devil will attack you. There are some people who say, well, Christianity is this gospel that's supposed to be all about me and improve my lifestyle and make me happier. But it's really all about Jesus Christ. Amen. And a Christianity that makes it sound like you're going to have a, 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 a financial deal with somebody, how that they, you, they approach you and try to sell you something. I'm not trying to sell you Jesus Christ today. And I'm not trying to ask you to do anything as far as you make Jesus Lord, because he already is Lord. I want you to understand what the true gospel is. And Jesus spells it out very clearly in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so very much for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift that you have given us that clearly we do not deserve. 
clearly something that we couldn't pay on our own. And thank you for saving us in spite of the fact that we have sinned against you. Help us this day to understand these precious words of Jesus. And it says, his name we pray. Amen. I want to start with the phrase, if anyone would come after me. I want to ask you two questions when looking at that phrase. Why would anyone follow Jesus? And better yet, how can anyone follow Jesus? You see, in order to understand true Christianity, we have to understand the true gospel. Simplified, you know that the gospel is a holy God who has created us, a sinful man, a perfect sacrifice through Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sins, and a new man that we are in Christ. Paul said that if anybody, anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. And so we think about that. But not only what the gospel is, but also what true evangelism is as we share the gospel Last night as I was driving home, I was thinking about a book that was very popular in the church world years ago. The book was entitled, Share Jesus Without Fear. And I don't know how many people of you have heard of that book or not, but what it was was a guy who was teaching people how to witness in such a way that you had all the answers in your hand. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have a background in retail? Raise your hands. I know you do. You do. You do. Okay. When you're in retail, there are often these training sessions you have to go through about how to make more sales, how to close the deal. That's what it's all about. The bottom line. We got to close the deal. If you took this book, How to Share Jesus Without Fear, and any sales manual and held them side by side, they were so similar, it's scary. I used to work in a music store. When I worked at the store in E-Town, when I sold a piano, often it was uh, going to be financed by somebody. When I moved to Bowling Green and worked at the store down there, a lot of the folks who bought these grand pianos were just writing a check for it. And because the, the funds were available, we were told over and over, make the sale, make the sale. Well, listen to what he says in this book and see how much it sounds like a sales pitch. He starts out fine. He says that when you're talking to somebody, he's going to give you this method. And here's his words. By following this method, I have avoided unnecessary arguments that would have hindered a complete presentation of the gospel. He talks about how he would ask some introduction questions to see where they are. And I don't have a problem with these questions. Things like, for example, do you have any kind of spiritual belief? Or do you, who is Jesus? Do you think there's a heaven and a hell? Or how about this one? He would say, if you died right now, where would you go? Or if what you believe were not true, would you want to know it? And then he would share some Bible verses. And the verses that he picked out, except for one, I'm totally fine with. One of them he's got on the list, though, is totally used out of context. 
Again, don't take verses out of the Bible to fit your scheme. Leave the verse in its context and preach and teach what the Bible says. But then in his outline, he has what he calls the close. And so you ask him these questions. Are you a sinner? Do you want forgiveness for your sins? Do you believe Jesus died on a cross for you and rose again? Are you willing to surrender yourself to Christ? Are you ready to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life? And then, like any good salesman, he tells you how to handle objections. If they say, I'm not ready, what are you going to say? You don't have the foggiest idea why the person is not ready, so you simply ask why. If they say, I have to think about it, then you ask again, why? And then if they say, I've always believed in God, and I would say something like this. If you answer yes to all five questions, then you won't have any problem accepting Jesus. Let's pray for you to receive him. That's a sales pitch. Will that be cash or charge? When, when do you want it delivered? And then he says, well, if they say, my friends will think that I'm crazy. You could say, that's probably true. But the issue now is, are you ready to invite Jesus into your life? And one more. I mean, he's got gobs of them, but here's five that I picked. Here's the fifth one. Listen to this one. If they say, I'm not ready, he says, I have just one question to ask them who says that. If you were to die right now, having not accepted Christ, where will you go? If he realizes he will go to hell, he won't resist much longer. Friends, that is not true evangelism. And that is not true Christianity. We are not peddlers of the gospel. In the margin of your sheet somewhere, write this verse down. 2 Corinthians 2.17 2 Corinthians 2.17 Paul says, We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are not trying to sell people into a program. We are not trying to trick you into Christianity. We are not trying to trick you into anything. In fact, we understand that our job is to simply share the message and only God can change a heart. We can't force you to do it. We can't make you do it. Only God can give you that. Now, if I was to ask you, and don't look at your bulletin right now. Look at me for a minute. If I was to ask you, how many of you are familiar with Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, which says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're familiar with that verse, raise your hands, right? You know that one, but let me ask you a question. Do you know the verse right before that? The one right before it says this, 
all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In, in other words, we don't just choose Christ because we think that he's lonely or feeling sad about something. He chooses us. He reveals God to us. The same is also true in John chapter 6, 44, when Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And yet we have this idea as a salesman, if we take this approach, that if we can just convince them to say this prayer... In fact, that's in his book. If you can get them to say the prayer, then you've won. You can chalk it off on your list. That's not what it's about. In fact, how many people have prayed that prayer and the person con confronted, not confronted them, but uh, convinced them that it was real, and yet today they're still lost as they were before. Because instead of being saved by God, they had a sales pitch by somebody who was desperate to get another number and another notch and didn't present Jesus like he should have. Oh, if I could just get that person to say this prayer. Let me tell you something. You can repeat the sinner's prayer every single day and still not be saved. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ. As God saves us, not because of your repetition of the prayer, not because of your works, not because of your merit. You may be a good person in my eyes, but in the eyes of God, every single one of us are not good. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And yet today we keep saying, if anybody's ever going to go to heaven, surely it's that person. They are such a good person. You take anybody that you think is a good person by human standards and st stand up by Christ, and you will see they are so far from comparison. Jesus is holy. Jesus is perfect. And we are so far from it. He says, if anybody would come after me, what's the next phrase? He says, let him deny himself. Number one in your sheet, write this down. True Christianity requires us to focus on Jesus and not ourselves. True Christianity requires us to focus on Jesus and not on ourselves. And on your sheet, I'm going to give you five different ways to look at this. And there are plenty of more, I understand. The idea of denying yourself means to refuse to pay attention to, to disregard. So it's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. He is my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's the one that's paid the price. And I wonder how much we focus on him, letter A, in our thought life. How much of our thought life is focused on Christ and how much of it is focused on the world? Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, that out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. 
2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. For those of you who shoot rifles and shotguns, you know that a shotgun shat, uh, scatters around, and you can, you can be pretty forgiving in that, right? Did you hit it? With that many, I'm coming out. Surely I did, right? You get that bullet out, though, and you get that scope. I remember a buddy of mine told me one time that he was uh, sighting his scope, and he shot, and he had a target up there, and he kept hearing metal. He's like, the target didn't move, but I hit something. And he shot again, and he heard metal. He's like, what am I hitting? And he looked down, and he shot the side of his truck twice. <laughs> his scope was way out of whack, wasn't it? Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ gives us his word and his Bible and his Holy Spirit that comes from God. These two help you take every thought captive. If you have a thought and it's not lined up with the gospel, you need to get rid of it right then and there. And you do that by pushing your mind back to Christ, back to his word. The second area that I want to ask you, how well are we focusing on Christ is our spoken words. Our spoken words, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When we speak, how much of our words glorify God and how much praise the things of the world? Letter C, how about your actions? Do your actions focus on Christ? Do they see Christ in your actions? Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live... And of course, Colossians 3.17, we spend a lot of time with. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What about letter D? How about your desires? Do your desires match somebody who's focused upon Christ? Galatians 5.16, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you not gratify the desires of the flesh. Romans 13.14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When people see what we are desiring for, what we are pushing for, do they see it in the right perspective? Again, I could give you so many of them, but let me give you one more. How about your attitudes? Does your attitude reflect Christ or does it reflect the world? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In fact, I tell you what, let's do this. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13, that, that special wedding passage that we talk about. First Corinthians 13 was not written because Paul had a wedding to preach. 
1 Corinthians was written because the people in the church were arguing about every single thing you could imagine. And because of that, he talks about love. In fact, in the last verse of chapter three or 13, he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way, which is love. But I want you to see this. In verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And many of you have heard when a preacher says, now I want you to take your name and put it in the place of love in each of those phrases. And if you do that and you start reading this out loud, how far can you go before you crack? You look at verse 4. How many of you can say, I am patient and kind? I do not envy or boast. I am not arrogant. And you keep going through the list. It's like, wow, Lord, I need to repent right now. Listen, this is the attitude that we should be having. Does our attitude glorify God or does it look like everybody else? When you are out in the crowd, you don't have to have a shirt or a WWJD bracelet on or something else to be identified as a, a Christian. Your works, your speech, those types of things will show quicker than anything else. And I love when I see somebody that I don't know and I start talking to them and immediately the love of Christ comes forth. And I say, oh, man, where do you go to church at? How long have you been a Christian? What, what, do, you, what do you do in the church? What do you, how do you share your love? The next phrase in our verse, if you go back to Luke chapter 9, take up his cross daily. And number two on your sheet, if you'll write down this, true Christianity requires a total commitment to Jesus True Christianity requires a total commitment to Jesus. And in the parentheses, write these two words down. Consistent and continual. Consistent and continual. If we are to have true Christianity, then it's not just something we pick up on Sunday morning and say, I'll wear this for a couple of hours and then put it back in the closet. And it's not just when it's convenient or when it's uh, approved by others. It's 24-7. It's consistent. Now, I understand as well as anybody else in this room, there are times that we fall short and we sin against God. But as a Christian, we are to repent and turn to God as quickly as possible. And to have that slate cleansed once again. We are to be consistent. I'm amazed how many times we say one thing and then we do the other. 
We, we tell somebody it's wrong to do this, but then we do it ourselves. That's not right. How many of you are wearing a, a, a necklace that has a cross on it? Anybody this morning? Well, some people do on a regular basis. And we have beautified that emblem. But to give you a perspective of what you're wearing, it's like wearing an electric chair around your neck right now. Because that's how they saw it back in the day. The cross was the cruelest way to kill somebody. Nail them up there and let them suffocate. Let the birds of the air feed on them. When Jesus says, pick up your cross, he didn't mean do something that's pretty, do something that's comfortable. It's not always easy being a Christian. You'll be ridiculed because of that. You'll be made fun of. You may even lose uh, the opportunity for uh, some kind of uh, promotion or something else because of your faith. But let me ask you a question. Who would you rather please, God or your boss or your friends? A true Christianity requires a total commitment, one that is consistent and continual. And then the following phrase, follow me. I asked the question a while ago, how could you follow? I told you how. Here's the why to that, because of obedience. Number three on your sheet, true Christianity requires being connected to Christ. It requires being connected to Christ. <laughs> I just thought about this story for some reason. I don't know why. Years ago, I sung at a quartet in E-Town. And we sung at a nursing home. And this uh, little lady comes up to me and she says, uh, Come here, I want to show you something. I said, excuse me? She said, I want to show you something. She's like, okay, I'm being courteous. We've already set up and stuff, so I'm following her. And she's taking me down this long hall, and the singing is about to get started. And I said, how far, how far are we going? I, I need to go up here and sing with the guy. Oh, you one of them? I said, yes, ma'am. We'll just go on then. Like, okay. Listen, if you are tied to God... It requires being connected to him all the time. When Peter was asked, aren't you one of them? What did he say? I don't know the man. He denied Jesus exactly like Jesus said that he would. How many times has somebody asked you a question about your faith and you said, I am connected to Jesus Christ? One of the greatest examples of this that I heard, a preacher was headed to a meeting. And his daughter says, while you're in town, will you stop by the store and buy me this CD? It's brand new. I'm so excited about it. And he was in a hurry, but he says, sure, I'll pick it up for you. He goes in the store, waits in this long line. He finally gets the thing. It clearly says $19.99 on the price of the CD. He hands the girl the money. She hands the change back. He doesn't count it. He just puts it in the bag. He gets in the car. He's driving away. And then as he's driving out of the parking lot, it hits him. Wait a minute. I think she gave me too much money back. 
He pulls out the CD. He pulls out the receipt. He pulls out the money that she gave, and clearly she only charged him $9.99 instead of $19.99. And he's thinking, oh, great, I'm in a hurry. I don't have time for this, but I want to make this right. He goes back into the store, waits a long time in line, finally gets back to the register. He tells the young lady, uh, ma'am, excuse me, I think you made a mistake on my purchase. She says, no, I didn't. She says, I did that on purpose. She says, I was in your church this past Sunday for the first time, and you preached on integrity, and I wanted to see if you really had it. Friends, we were being tested every single day. And people are watching to see if you really are who you say that you are. You say that you go to church. You say that you're a Christian. You say that you love one another. You're being tested on a regular basis. The question is, how are we doing? So today, as we think about this verse, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. That needs to be our thinking this morning. Very quickly, let me show you the verses right behind that. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into the, his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You cannot be connected to Christ if you're still trying to live your life apart from him. You can't be connected to Christ if you're still chasing after the wealth and the pleasures of this world, and you can't be connected to Christ if you're ashamed to be associated with Him. When you hear the word Christian, to us there's a special meaning behind that word. It means Christ-like. But when the word Christian was first used, it was not a compliment at all. It was like that little lady that says, are you one of them? It was used to categorize those kind of people. Are you more concerned about being on the right side of God or the popular side with society. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for these words, and I pray that we have understood what you're saying here, and that this morning as we have this invitation, that we would make sure that we are on the right side. Father, if we need to repent of any sins, Father, speak to our heart right now and move us, and help us to pray a prayer that should be prayed. If we're not yet Christians, Lord, please save us. And have your way in this time. And be glorified by us all. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing.